I am your host, Scott Ulterson. So we've got Angel. Hello, world. We've got Christina. Hello. We've got Adam. Hi, guys. And of course, we've got Ben Hone. Hey there. And so welcome to this week's episode of Floor 9. But before we dive in, let me give you a quick background on the lab and what we do up here on Floor 9. The IPG Media Lab is a specialized group dedicated to innovation working across the interpublic network. For over a decade, we've been evaluating new technology, identifying how it changes consumer behavior and media consumption, and providing our clients with actionable insights to help navigate the ever-evolving media landscape. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Floor 9. So everybody that we have here today in our little nice little fishbowl room, lobby small, giving it a kind of a test run. Who here has actually seen a movie in theaters recently? Honestly, Scott, I cannot remember the last movie that I saw in theaters. I assume it was a Marvel movie. Sounds about right. But I can't put my <laughs> finger on it. This guy has on Monday. What'd you see? Black Panther. All right. Black Panther. Highly recommend it. Adam? I actually can't remember the last movie I saw in theaters. Sorry. I, I meant to see Black Panther this weekend, <laughs> and I failed. Well, it's, it's still on the docket. All right. <laughs> Christina? I just saw Black Panther at uh, Cineopolis in Chelsea, but before that, I saw Lady Bird at Nighthawk Cinema. Oh, all right. Which is a I favorite. heard Lady Bird was really good. Lady Bird is great. It's about a town close to where I grew up, which oh. I love. Okay, cool. I think the last one I saw was Star Wars. Which one? Uh, the Force Awakens. No, the what was the Rogue One? No, not no, no, no. Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Thank you. Yes, that's what. Actually, I'm I for. think Last Jedi was the last I think one that, I saw yeah. in theaters too. I think that's the last one I saw in theaters. It's the last one I saw three times in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think you know this really sets the stage for our topic today, and that is really talking about the changing movie-going experience that we've seen with consumers in today's world of uh, content and how it's delivered and how much there risk really is in the world. Uh, Angel and Christina, you guys both mentioned the Black Panther, and, and this had a record box office. Uh, I believe it had opened with $152 million over the same weekend, which is President's Day weekend, according to CNN Money, uh, which is only second uh, behind the four-day total in history, which was behind The Force Awakens. The point with this is saying that these big blockbuster uh, you know, openings we aren't seeing as many as we used to in the past. And there's kind of a shift in how consumers are going to the movies, what they're expecting the movies to be, and exactly what they're watching at the movies. But I feel like we can't talk about Black Panther without talking about the fact that it was a black-led cast directed by a black man and uh, making drawing parallels to what happened with Wonder Woman last year with a female-fronted superhero movie directed by a woman. I feel like one of the things that we're seeing is people are really looking for uh, these blockbuster movies to reflect them and their culture and, and what they're, they want to see themselves on screen. Everyone wants to see themselves as a superhero. Uh, and this is something that, uh, you know, Marvel and DC are much more equipped to do than Star Wars. It's uh, Star Wars uh, is always going to be a little more fictional. Well, oh, Wonder yeah. Woman is literally <laughs> the only DC movie that's ever been worth watching. But, <laughs> but at least it was, the, it was the one that was fronted by a woman. So um, I think that that's... Um, a, cu a cultural thing. Like we can't talk about the, those movies. We can't talk about Black Panther without t acknowledging that. I think. I think it's super important. Yeah, absolutely. But I, again, and then we can just bring this conversation straight into one of the general themes that we're seeing with movies in today's theatrical release is the actual idea of their windowing strategy and how that's becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, so Adam, 
just for those who don't know, you know, what exactly is windowing? What is happening in the theater, you know, realm today, and why is this important for uh, people to kind of pay attention to? Yeah, so windowing is uh, what we mean by windowing is uh, how content moves from. Uh, distribution uh, method to distribution method. So a movie will start in theaters, and then it'll come out of theaters and go to, uh, there's like a weird window where it's on airplanes for a while, which is some strange in-between window. (laughs) And then then it might move to um, on-demand, including things like uh, iTunes for rental or purchase, um, digital on-demand. And then eventually trickles down into um, things like Netflix uh, and HBO, first HBO, then Netflix, um, and, and basically windowing is moving the content from one distribution point to the other to um, maximize revenue. So as you move through the windows, you make less money off of each individual uh, viewer, but you reach more viewers. And you always, obviously, the strategy is to keep it in a window for just long enough to maximize the amount of money you can make in that window. Um, and this is, movies are a great example because everybody sort of, I think, intrinsically understands that something moves from theater to eventually um, more free uh, or, or, you know, part of a subscription like Netflix. <clears throat> um, but pr- lots of different kinds of content, including um, including books, uh, including um, sometimes uh, news articles, um, music for sure, um, moves through windows in different ways. Uh, and what we're seeing, we've seen a lot of different kinds of content um change how it is windowed or experiments in windowing in a lot of different areas for a while. Uh, and what we're starting to see now is that the, the movie window is changing uh, and at least up for grabs for experimentation, finally. And just to kind of put some you know stats behind this, in 2013, the industry average uh, for the major movie studio release was four months and one day. And now, uh, into 2017, it's three months and 14 days. And we've just generally you know have seen it uh, get you know, smaller and smaller and smaller over the past couple of years. And this is coming from uh, natunline.org for those that are looking to look this up afterwards. Uh, but so that I think it's really into, uh, and this kind of aligns with our new outlook of, you know, how is this changing the movie going experience? You know, I know you mentioned Netflix and they've done some pretty exciting stuff with the Super Bowl and that same day release of Cloverfield. So we can talk about that. We can talk about um, how the theatrical window is kind of like, or the theatrical experience is kind of polarizing, where we're in the same way we saw experience and in re- convenience in our outlook for retail, we can kind of have that same uh, aspects be applied to the movie going experience. Let's start with, I think, the, the, um, <clears throat> the elephant in the room, which is um, why? Why are we seeing those theatrical windows that you just mentioned the stats from changing? And I think the answer is something that you just said. I think it's, it's partially Netflix. It's that people are more and more accustomed to um, being able to access content uh, the day that, they, that, it, that it's released. Um, and uh, that's combined with sort of the um, barrier to entry for going to the movies in the first place when you have so much content available on demand and that you're already paying for as part of your Netflix subscription, your Prime subscription, your Hulu subscription, um, that uh, movies have to really compete to get your attention. And that's why right. I think things like uh, Black Panther and Wonder Woman and Star Wars break out because they are these like cultural touch points. Yeah, and, and I know just just in Netflix in general, like for like their content in 2018 coming from the uh, Andreessen Horowitz uh, podcast recently they did a, a, a discussion with the head of content over at Netflix and this year they have 30 original series going out they have 80 original films happening they have 35 kids series 19 
different local language series around the world and then 65 documentaries. So to your point of, you know, they are a content machine and their movie theaters have a lot to uh, compete with. And all of this is pretty much once it's released, it's out there, it's immediate and it's, you can binge watch the entire series or whatever it is straight from your couch. One thing that's contributing to that, um, and then one thi thing that I don't think people or that any of us really understood when Netflix first started releasing their TV shows all in one in one drop, uh, the entire season in one drop, is that it really gives them an opportunity to capture the cultural conversation. Um, and this is something that movies have traditionally been able to do in theaters when they hit in theaters. <clears throat> the that. Um, Lots of people go see them opening weekend or in, in the week following opening weekend. Uh, we know that that's when they make their most money, but it's also when everybody's talking about it. Literally, if you wait a week or two, no one's talking about it anymore. Even when it does come out on uh, VOD or when it comes to Netflix eventually, it's just not the, it, it always feels like you're playing catch up with your friends who have already seen it. So it, if you are interested in a movie and you do want to participate in that cultural conversation, uh, then you, you kind of have to see it in theaters right now. But I also think that we're seeing a lot of pushback from consumers as to why they have to go through the effort to see something in theaters when it might not, they might not need to see it on the big screen, but they still want that cultural conversation moment to be part of their experience. So Today is February 22nd. Black Panther came out February 15th. Are you saying that it's too late for me to go see Black Panther? <laughs> I'm saying you probably have another week. And after that, the conversation will probably have moved on. But the movie hopefully will still be good. That'll right. You can still enjoy the movie. You just, uh, your friends will probably be done talking your social, about it. Yeah, your, your social currency is just, it's just rapidly depleting as time goes on. So, Gotcha. I'll try and get on that this weekend. Yeah. There we go, Ben. Uh, but what, so when it comes to actually going to watch a movie, what do, how do you guys enjoy uh, watching or your movie going experience? Are you one for kind of the Alamo Draft House I pick experience where it's super high end? Uh, you can have a craft beer, you can have an entire meal, you can sit down and have that experience, or do you kind of lean more towards what Movie Pass is doing, where you just go and watch the very bare minimum 2D version of the movie? And then you can actually just, that's it. There's like, you, there's nothing else. It's just very basic. So what do you guys prefer? I'll take a shot at this. All right, Angel. I'm more on the convenience side. I'm not sure how much I trust theater food, high end or not. But also for me, it's more about the content. Like I said earlier, for a 12 o'clock show, I get there at 11.45. So for me, it's... I'm much more focused on getting in, getting in a comfortable seat. If I could have a drink or two, that would be great. But essentially, everything revolves around the movie, and then I want to leave. Right. I would have to agree with Angel. I prefer the, prefer the convenience side. I've gone to some of the more luxury theaters with fully reclining seats, and to me, that basically amounts to an expensive nap. <laughs> so I don't mind going to a theater that is a little bit more affordable, seeing my movie, and then going on with my life. Right. I recently saw Dunkirk okay. at Village East Cinema. It's an old school theater in the East Village, obviously. Um, they shot it in 35 millimeter. Okay. And it felt like the kind of movie that deserved to be seen in the way it was intended on a big screen. I don't think a movie like Dunkirk with those beautiful aerial shots that were shot, um, you know, 
for the big screen. I don't think it would have the same effect on me. Right. Um, as watching at home. Right. Uh, I realize that's not the same case for every movie. Um, but I really enjoyed that experience, actually. I'm gonna, I want to challenge that. <laughs> I know there, there are a lot of filmmakers um, who really dislike the uh, trends towards things being released just uh, for at-home viewing and are, are downright horrified when they learn that people are watching their movies on their phones. That's like a horrifying thing to some filmmakers. Um, <clears throat> and I think that, it, that they're really just being too precious about it. I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is um, how much, like I agree, it does affect your experience, no doubt, but do you get 90% of the experience of Dunkirk watching it at home or do you get, and is it worth the time and effort uh, if you're getting 90% of the experience? There was a, a great article that I was reading last night that was talking about um, you know, sports highlight culture and if you can get 80 to 90% of the enjoyment of watching a game just by watching highlights from the game, is it really worth three hours of your time to watch the entire game? And I think the same thing is true for a lot of entertainment. If you can get that cultural capital by watching it at home or by watching it on your phone or uh, for something, sadly, uh, for reading recaps or reviews of it, like maybe you don't actually need to see the movie. Um. I think that's actually such a great point. And I think in the same way that sports has those rabid fans that'll watch all four NFL games in a week and then the people who are okay just watching the highlights, I think you could make the same case for audiences and movies as well. And when I think about my own habits, I liken that Dunkirk experience to going to a museum. It didn't feel like a movie. It felt like an artistic experience for me where I appreciated the creativity. And that's something I personally value. I can appreciate that that's not the same behavior for every segment of the population, but I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. And Christina, let me ask you this. Does a movie in 3D or IMAX or now some movie theaters have 4D experiences? Does that change the experience for you? Does does that even like peak an in interest? I think it does. I think so. Black Panther, for example, I believe was not shot in 3D but was shown in 3D some places. For me, that feels gimmicky. But I think if there's a movie that was shot in 3D and it was intended for that format, and I got an enhanced experience by going to the theater, I would appreciate the art in that as well. That's a great question. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, for, I, I am on the, I'm, like, I'm kind of half and half on whether it's going to be, if it's like a big Marvel Cinematic release, Star Wars, I want the full experience. Maybe not the food, because I think it like disrupts the content, but I want the, like, the recliner, I want the 3D like that really gets me in the zone. I want I, I want to be shook by the subwoofers, you know, inside the actual mm -hmm. um, theater itself. If it's more of a maybe like a indie film or whatnot, then I'm totally cool with just paying like eight bucks for it or eight bucks, whatever, where? whatever it might be. Well, not in not New York. Yeah, yeah not yeah. New York. <laughs> Tell but, me well, where. <laughs> movie Pass. I mean, that, that's so the thing that we sort of talked around but haven't really uh, hit directly on is. <clears throat> what we're seeing is these high-end experiences, and I would actually put the food and recliners more on the high-end. 3D is such a weird thing. It was a gimmick by the movie industry to try to prop up revenue, um, which kind of worked for a while, but is, is basically not working anymore. Um, but... Um, but uh, that's sort of the, the high end of like of the, the theater going experience that's trying to convince people to leave their living rooms and go out to the theater. The low end is, uh, you know, what we were saying is um, MoviePass, which gives you the flat rate subscription for as many movies as you want to see, as you one per day um, every month for $10 a month. 
Well, nine ninety five. All right, that uh, you can keep that nickel. For yeah. <laughs> your, your, hey, your, when you go every day, has it been adds checked. up. <laughs> no, it's flat per month. It's per month. Yeah. Oh. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, from what we've heard from uh, MoviePass, that actually what they're actually doing is um, they they they're not affecting your viewing of these blockbuster movies, but they are encouraging people to go to theaters more often to see independent films. They specifically call out Lady Bird as something that they really know that they've drove um, a lot of viewers to see in theaters, uh, which they otherwise probably wouldn't have because obviously Lady Bird, unlike Dunkirk or Black Panther doesn't, it, it's not an effects movie. The, I'm sure the cinematography is beautiful, but it's not landscapes, it's, it's you know, people. So uh, I think, and I think most people would be just fine watching that at home. MoviePass is encouraging them to take a chance on going out to the theater more often uh, because it's, it's free. So worst case, if you really hate the movie, you would not feel bad at all about walking out. Um, but uh, yeah, that, from what we know from MoviePass, they're really driving more on these smaller independent films uh, to get people to theaters. And I really don't understand why movie theaters are getting upset because from listening to the Recode podcast, Movie Pass is actually paying for your ticket, whether you go once a month or once every day. So as a theater owner, I would love that because aren't the margins on candy or soda, popcorn outrageous? Isn't that where they make majority of their money? Yes. Yeah. And and they they are driving revenue up. That's MoviePass's argument is that they are driving more purchase of those things. People are there more often. But I will tell you why they're upset. They're upset because they are losing control of the consumer relationship. And MoviePass is really coming in. They saw an opportunity using some pretty clever technology in the back end to disintermediate the theaters. I think theaters overestimate how much people actually like them. Theaters are a are a, a conveyance factor for the content. People care about the content. And MoviePass, if they own that customer relationship, has a can have a large impact on uh, which movies people see and also, you know, which theaters they go to. So you said taking away the consumer relationship. What exactly is that? Is it somebody having say an AMC loyalty app because I haven't met anyone with any movie theater loyalty app. I don't know if you guys have. But is that the consumer relationship? Because I feel like MoviePass is building relationship for the theaters. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that obviously some people have loyalty passes for these theaters. But I think that the, the, the problem is the theaters have done a horrible job of cementing that consumer relationship. And so MoviePass, that, there's an opportunity there. And, and you're right, MoviePass is creating value there. I just think that the theater owners... Uh, you know, everybody wants their business to remain exactly the same, and uh, specifically AMC has been very vocal about being anti-MoviePass, and I think that they're just sitting there with their heads over their hands pretending like consumer behaviors are not changing. And more importantly, consumer expectations are not changing. I think that's, uh, it's not, it's expectations uh, sort of lead changing behaviors. Well said. Now, do we want to dive into then what some possible um, predictions that we that we might kind of see come out into the like home theater viewing experience, like premium VOD, uh, the, the the entire screening room startup by Sean Parker and working with Apple for that uh, about like thirty dollar like premium early release <laughs> access, uh, possibly even a and Adam I attribute this to a hundred dollar movie ticket experience <laughs> for like that super high end like high end like your chair shakes and you have like champagne or something like that while you're watching the movie. Like what, what are, what are like the limitations on this? What, what do we think could, you know, be rolling out in 2018? 
You know that for a while there have been brewing the idea of day and date releases of in theater and at home viewing in a what, what I've been calling a premium VOD window. Um, Sean Parker uh, has a startup called Screening Room that's been working on this. Um, Apple and Amazon have been working on this with the with the studios. Um, it sounds like that's actually going to come to market probably first from Apple this year in 2018, um, and it's actually not going to be day and date right away. It's going to be two weeks after the uh, it opens in theaters, and it's going to be $30 for a rental. Um, <clears throat> and that sounds like a lot until you think about all of the costs of going to a movie theater. Um, and I think that uh, the, the two-week thing is was the concession they got to get down to that $30 price point. The studios wanted $50 for day and date. Apple didn't think that was a viable price point, so they landed on 30 two weeks later, which does sort of, for now anyway, protect that theatrical release window for major releases. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see, hopefully at some point we'll see numbers as to how many people are actually doing that and how it's affecting ticket sales after that two-week period. I would expect that after that two-week period, a lot of movies are going mean, to, a lot of movies already do crater, but they'll crater even faster if it's available at home. Thinking about subscriptions, and this is a question open to the room. Do you think major studios will launch in the future a subscription service where they'll allow you to watch their movies while it's in theater as well, or even before theaters get it for a fee? So similar to, to what Screening Room is doing or trying to do, but because they own their own movies, I'm sure it'll be an easier time for them to go directly to consumers yeah, I think 100% Disney will experiment with that at some point of letting you watch, pay on top of your monthly subscription for their service to watch a new Marvel movie or a new Star Wars movie on the same day and date. Uh, but even before that, I think they're, they're probably going to try to preserve that window for as long as possible. They could do a, a movie pass style thing where they give you a card that lets you get access to Star Wars tickets before anybody else um, in a traditional movie theater without even necessarily having to partner with those theaters. But watching it at home. Yeah, I think they'll get there eventually, but they are also trying to preserve that theatrical window. So yeah, I think it's it's certainly an app. Once you know, once there's a Disney app on your TV, um, and it could have an in-app purchase for uh, fifty dollars to watch the new Star Wars on the day it's out in theaters. Sure, why not? My question is, as as Netflix, because as we already said, like people go to the movie theaters to see the content. Like they're not really there. They might be there for the experience, which is one way to differentiate depending on, you know, like that person. People will like that. But I think a lot of people also like this to see the content. Like that's why they're there. So if Netflix keeps acquiring these content producers and it's like they have a real powerhouse of you know, shows and videos and whatever might that might be coming out. I mean, what greater impact is that going to have on like the theatrical window in general? Because if people are just so used to, for example, Netflix is dropping like Cloverfield Paradox they had a had a, a Super Bowl ad. Then that night, you could watch Cloverfield Paradox. If that becomes the new norm, and Netflix is this powerhouse of fantastic content, I mean, what does that do for theatrical release windows in general? I, f I feel like that is going to just continue to like d d d d d diminish their overall value and why they charge so much when somebody can just you know subscribe to Netflix and just be like, boom, here's everything I need. Yeah, I mean, I think that the that movie theaters need to justify their existence outside of these enforced windows. I think that's really the takeaway, is that there has to be a reason to go to the, the, the theater other than I don't want to wait two weeks to watch Black Panther. Because right now, that traditionally, that's how they have survived. But in this uh, era of abundance of content, uh, that content, there's only going to be f less and less content that people are willing to do that for. 
and uh, I, it's movie theaters need to justify their existence. It's not. I don't. I think you can't assume that that they're always going to be around just because they have been for the past. I don't know how long they've been around. A hundred years. <laughs> Some I have no idea. Hundred and three and a half. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. I'm looking at that stat, so I can't quote that for you <laughs> before the show. Yeah, no, I, interesting. And then I, even today, uh, to kind of validate that is that there are, on average, it's, it says like 89% of Americans, uh, moviegoers, only go to four or five movies a year. So there isn't that much, I would say, like demand for a movie. And I, I would, we're going to kind of like, you know, theorize here or speculate that the movies that they're seeing aren't all the indie label ones. It's going to be the big Marvel Cinematic Universes, the Star Wars. It's those big blockbuster ones. And other than that, everything else, I mean, I see a lot of those like indie films just going to a Netflix because like that's just where people want to watch it. It's they, like all like the cult. So news. Scott, quick question for you: When you were bringing up the the content question, or yes, and you brought up Netflix, were you focusing on Netflix creating series, like 10, 13 episode series, or just movies? I wasn't both, both, both. Yeah, talk about talking about both because I, I think I think both will play into yeah people's expectations of when they should be able to access content. That's right, because to your point, Adam, um, I think movie theaters will always be around, even though it's still a crappy experience, mostly because there's people that still prefer movies over 10, 13 hour long episodes, just because of time that they have to invest. So for example, my little sister, who's 23 for for another month, I was having a conversation with her last time I was home, and she actually has an AMC app. She's a she loves going to the theater. She's a Stubbs member. She's a Stubbs member. So you know one. You lied earlier. Yes, <laughs> fact checked. Continue. <laughs> but the reason why she loves going is because she's still in college and she's working part time. She loves going to movies because she gets everything beginning to end in a two hour window versus investing ten hours or thirteen hours right. trying to get trying to watch an entire series. But but how much is that true when the movies that you are seeing are Marvel and Star Wars and you have to watch uh, like a dozen movies a year plus TV shows to actually get the full story? Well, that's where supplementing that with reading is research. There's also breakdowns. There's new rock stars that does what you need to know before watching XYZ movie. So that's where that comes in. Yeah, I actually, th- I just think the, the line between movies and episodic television is blurring more and more and I think we're going to see even more of that in the future as, as especially as we go more towards direct to consumer distribution where they can experiment with formats Netflix doesn't an episode on Netflix doesn't have to be 20 minutes or 40 minutes right they have mostly stuck to that but it could also be three hours yeah and it does change if Netflix begins to invest more and more into movie type um, content so similar to what they did with bright where it wasn't a series it was just a movie so in that from that positioning or point of view, then the theaters are in more and more trouble. Yeah, well, and I think that's on their roadmap is yeah. to keep producing, I mean, everything, movies, TV series, documentaries, like as I said before, it's, that is on their roadmap to do and like they're gonna continue to do that and I think part of that's gonna be acquiring this like top Hollywood talent from the traditional Hollywood movie studios. You hey, come here, produce your content the way you wanna produce it, I'll give them a lot of flexibility, let them direct or write the way they want to and then give the people the content they want when they want it. I just think the distinction is being blurred a lot. Um, the the counter example to Marvel, which I think is movies acting more like TV shows, is uh, The End of the Effing World, which was 
uh, a Netflix show that was chopped up into 20-minute episodes, but it was really just a movie. Um, and uh, there's no reason why they couldn't have uh, distributed it in one big chunk because it was about two and a half hours long, but uh, they decided to make it 20-minute episodes instead. Yeah, what I wonder, too, about the talent, Ryan Murphy and Shonda Rhimes, they are very squarely TV people um, that are used to that format. And my understanding is that it's hard to cross over. But what I wonder is, as these lines blur, if the talent also blurs their skill sets and is able to kind of flex format depending on what's working with Netflix. And I think Netflix is actually a great place to do that because it's almost like they take the shackles off these people and let them run wild artistically. And I think that's where some really cool uh, formats will come out of all this experimentation that they're allowed to do. The format itself could change, too, to be something like End of the Effing World that you were talking about. You could either choose to watch it as a full movie or you could break it up into chapters. Yeah, I'd really love to see, um, and maybe this is something that Disney will do with their own streaming service, but something like the Marvel Universe hyperlinked in some way so that you could follow one character through both the TV shows and the movies and one plot line. Well said. So what does all this mean for brands? Angel, I believe you raised your hand previously. Raised two hands. Good for you, man. So MoviePass is really interesting and what this means for MoviePass and brands specifically. So... Last time I checked, according to the Washington Post, they had they had 1.5 million subscribers, but I believe that's up to 2 million, but I can't find that source. So with this established audience base and knowing that MoviePass is great for indie movies, essentially one of their offerings that they're beginning to roll out is marketing for marketing to their audience. So not just running based if you're Sony Pictures or someone else, not just running your standard ads that you have. You would work with MoviePass to create custom content to advertise your movie to drive that person to the movie theater. That's really interesting. And then bundling that with the data they have, specifically location, now they can also help dictate where out-of-home buys go. Because you know where the user is, what they buy, and where they go, now you can actually run out-of-home buys with them or they can guide you with their data versus working with partners that have their SDK and several apps that they can't name. So that's, a, that's the way I see brands getting, getting in, but this is specifically for MoviePass. MoviePass has also talked about partnerships with restaurants and bars that are near movie theaters, um, all the way down to things like uh, cooperation with Uber and Lyft and babysitting services. They, they're definitely thinking about it holistically. So, um, you know, as MoviePass grows and as they uh, start to expand their audience, I think there will be more and more opportunities for brands to work with them. In general, though, I think the other thing that's happening is just we're seeing a lot of change in out-of-home entertainment. Movie theaters are, are certainly part of that, but we're seeing a lot of experimentation in things like VR arcades and uh, micro theme parks and things like that. I think there's a lot of uh, stuff that's sort of happening in that out-of-home space as people uh, reassess their options for entertainment. So the other brand implication to keep in mind is that television content has traditionally been programmed around theatrical releases. So oftentimes the CBS's, ABC's, and NBC's will schedule their most premium content around or their their most highly anticipated content around Thursday nights in anticipation of Hollywood studios spending premium dollars to loads of cash loads of cash 
in order to promote their upcoming films. This shifting theatrical behavior could have an impact on just overall um, ad prices on television because the window, the, the marketing window to lead up to a theatrical release has shifted. I mean, look no further than what Netflix did with the Cloverfield Paradox during the Super Bowl, where the first time anyone even heard of that movie or saw a trailer, they were able to watch it at home within a few hours. Well said, Ben. So if you're looking for more great content, you can check out our website, ipglab.com. From there, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, You can check out our social handles, uh, both Twitter and Instagram are at ipglab. And please leave us iTunes review. If you like what you hear, share with your friends. Uh, And any feedback, uh, more than welcome to hear it. So you can reach out to me directly at scott.elchison at ipglab.com. Thanks. Talk soon.